Welcome to Politics and Prose, the podcast focused on people and politics. Gail Dudley, the audacious advocate, is an author and activist committed to evoking an awakening that compels people and communities to move beyond the status quo. Gail has created a platform to introduce fresh voices through interviewing guests who are relevant to everyday life. Politics and Prose will also share aggregated political data and present it in a way that takes communities from being informed to taking action. New episodes air on Fridays. Make sure to follow Gail on Instagram, Twitter, and post.news at Gail Dudley. And subscribe to her YouTube, www.youtube.com slash Gail Dudley. Tune in to be informed and make sure to subscribe to Politics and Prose wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. Now let's get into it. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the next episode of Politics and Prose. I am your host, Gail Dudley, the audacious advocate, author, and activist committed to introducing you to fresh voices through interviewing guests who are relevant to everyday life. Y'all, we have been hitting hard on Mental Health Awareness Month being the month of May, and we want to continue that today. I have a powerhouse on this podcast today. I went through her website. I've been digging into all the work that she's doing, and I am so excited to introduce her to all of you today. Her name is Isia Ragsdale. She is a licensed clinical social worker, licensed clinical addiction specialist, a certified juvenile sex offender therapist, community leader, and author. Y'all, she is the founder of Design for Purpose Ministries and Design for Purpose Counseling and Therapeutic Services, LLC. She is definitely anointed to use her clinical background and spiritual authority to help people accomplish their goals, find their voice, and heal from various past traumas using God, using the word of God, excuse me. Her first book, Letters for You, was written in order to provide insight into trauma and the impact it can have on people. Currently, she is a PhD student at Walden University and hopes to use her Purpose Children's book series to empower, promote, and equip children to use healthy communication and pro-social skills. Y'all, they call her the trauma extricator. And I'm gonna allow her to unpack all of that with you in a few moments. But first, just let me say, welcome, Isia, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely, I'm so glad you're here. I, I was so geeked when Daniel told me all about you that I said I could not wait to get you on Politics and Prose podcast. But before we go anywhere, I first said uh, extractor and you said, no, 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 no. <laughs> and then you started breaking that down for me. Um, and you and we're calling it the extricator. Can you please speak to that? And I love what you said to me when you said, I can't extract trauma. Uh-uh, that's God's job. So I'm going to let that's you great. deal with that. Tell the audience what you shared with me because I think it was fabulous. 
Yeah, so oftentimes when people see that that word or that title, they want to call me the trauma extractor. And I'm very clear that I cannot do things that only God can do. To extract means to literally pull out of something. And I don't have the ability to pull the experience out of you. I don't have the ability to pull the pain out of you. But as the extractor, I know how to equip you and move you safely. Like I to literally extract, or I'm sorry, to literally extricate. That word extricator or like that process of extrication is what the jaws of life does when someone is mangled in a car mm -hmm. after a massive car accident. And sometimes we get mangled when trauma comes into our lives and we become, our identity becomes intertwined with that trauma. And so what I am in my anointing from, from the power of God and the Holy Ghost and through my educational experience, I am anointed enough to, to strongly pull you out of that situation, but safely hold you at the same time to not cause more damage as you begin to heal and walk through that process. So that's kind of how I got the name of the extricator. I love that. And, and I can see, actually, I think they call it the jaws of life or whatever, yeah. when they're pulling you out of a car. And as you was as you were explaining that, I, I automatically went to um, COVID. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Although, although, you know, they you know, they say it's now no longer a pandemic, no longer an endemic. But we know it's still there. But so many people went through so much, especially children. And we talked about children a little bit um in our, our uh, earlier episode for Mental Health Awareness Month. But the way you just explained that, um, what is it going to take from your view, from, from where you're sitting, what is it going to take for children to really work through that mm -hmm. trauma? I believe it's gonna take for them to be able to see their parents work through the trauma because oh. children learn based on what they see. And even though children are not equipped with the language to be able to say and express everything they see, oftentimes they know. And I know oftentimes that as parents, we try to cover our children from the things we go through. We try to shield them from, you know, the pain we have. And we try to hope that they don't experience anything that's negative or adverse. But the truth is, is that we handicap our children when we're not using moments as teachable moments to show them how to work through things, to teach them how to work through things. And I tell people all the time, mm -hmm. you cannot take somebody where you're unwilling to go. Right. You cannot take anybody down any road that you're not willing to travel down or walk down. So if you're not willing to confront, and I'm talking about as parents, I'm talking about as the adults, influential adults in children's lives, if we're not able to honestly talk about the impact that COVID has had on us, that different life situations have had on us, and if we don't allow our children to see our vulnerability from a healthy space, I'm not suggesting that we allow children into the most intimate spaces that are not age appropriate, but to allow them to see us in our vulnerable spaces, actively working through things, then they can begin to see like, oh, some things in life take work. Oh, my mental health may take some work, but I'm worth the journey. I'm worth the work being put into it. I don't have to lie and pretend like I'm okay if I'm not okay. And so by healing ourselves, by being honest with ourselves, we intrinsically give other people permission to give themselves permission to say, oh, I'm not okay today and I need to heal. And so, you know, for me, just as a mom, I realized that was one of the biggest mistakes that I made early on with my daughter that I've since had to go back and apologize for, correct, mm -hmm. and I try not to do um, with my son at this point. 
Wow, you just said a whole lot there. <laughs> <laughs> and always feel free to stop me because I, I can just talk really fast. No, I no, I wanted you to flow in that because it first of all, it was so powerful. The other thing, it made me start looking at myself because I can even think that um the times that I know I was putting on masks to just yeah. like let me keep it together, let me go through this, let me get through this. To where we're not even giving, some of us may not even uh, give our children or loved ones the opportunity to see that we're going through anything. Because we're just, what mask am I wearing today? And we take it off the shelf and put it on and keep moving. So let me ask this question. How does one identify trauma and what um, are the steps to begin processing it? So Number one, how do we first identify this trauma? And then the second part of, to that is, what are some steps to begin processing it? So I think most of us have identified our trauma. I think the better question could be, how do we give ourselves permission to acknowledge that it's trauma, right? Because one of the oh. things that I find that people do is we do trauma comparisons. And so trauma really is what it is to you. Something that may be traumatic to you may not be traumatic to me, but it does not negate the fact that it was still a traumatic event that happened in your life. And I think that because we're in a space of talking so much about mental health, health and mental illness, and because we talk so much about our trauma so freely now, now in this season, that sometimes we discount what our own experience if it does not sound as horrific as another person's experience. So I think we have to start by just giving ourselves permission to just be. You know what? This really traumatized me. And I okay. know that you've gone through this 50 times over and it didn't bother you. But guess what, sis? It really it just kind of took me down a road that I just was not able to snatch myself out of the way that I, I thought I would. You know, I think when we learn to sit with ourselves, and that's the thing that I tell people all the time, get comfortable with sitting with yourself. And we don't often do it because when we do, we feel the pain. And the number one thing that we try to do as individuals is escape our pain. So we'll take ourselves to the movies. We'll get on the phone. We'll hop on social media. Girl, let me veg out on something on uh, Netflix. Mm -hmm. Let me Netflix and chill tonight. Let me drink some wine. We'll find something to do to fill the space because we don't want to feel our feelings. But the thing that I tell people all the time is that when you learn to sit in those hard places long enough, you'll learn that they aren't designed to kill you. It can't kill you. The pain won't kill you, but it can process you to take you to another space where we want to avoid the process. So the right. first thing I always say is that you're not, it's not that you don't know your trauma point, it's that you have to number one, acknowledge the fact that it was a trauma space for you and then be willing to sit in it so we can assess and communicate about how it impacted you and to what depth it impacted you. Now that's okay. So, okay. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm grabbing all this. We're going to be here for a minute. So y'all just, you know, <laughs> grab your mimosa or whatever, and just keep listening, you know, Listen while you live, because we got to break this down. So is it possible, because I, I appreciate what you said when I, the initial question was, how does one identify? And you said that people already know their trauma. Did I say that correctly? Repeat that I back to you. Is it, could it be that some people, although they may know their trauma, they don't know that it's trauma? Is that possible? Yes, that is 100% possible, especially in communities of color because we have normalized so many spaces of dysfunction. So there's so many avenues of dysfunction that have become normalized. Like, oh, 
girl, your mother used to beat you with a belt. Mind you, and a switch, and this, and that. But the truth is, is that although they did it in love, although many of us turned out fine, and I'm doing the air quotes with that, the truth is, is that a lot of those things were just physical abuse because our parents were mad and angry, and they didn't have the skills the skills to communicate their anger in a different way or to make it a disciplined moment or a teachable moment. So many of us were, but it's a joke in the African-American community, right? Or in communities of color. Let me express it um, that way. Or for many of us who grew up in poverty and living with the lights off and having to share electricity with our neighbors or just not even having it at all or not wearing clean clothes, a lot of those things we begin to normalize and we have made jokes about it. So from that vantage point, you are correct that we don't always acknowledge that that really was a pain space for us okay. or that that was a trauma space for us. But although we don't acknowledge it, if we sit with ourselves long enough, I'm telling you, people come to therapy and after a while, like when you dig and you ask questions, like, man, that really did hurt. I never said nothing to nobody about it because, you know, when I looked around, all my friends were living that way. But that really was a messed up space for me. Wow. Thank you for that. Wow. Okay. You're right. We do normalize it. So we it's didn't... like, it's not trauma. It's like, what, what, what do you mean trauma? Yeah. This was normal. So normal. yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then something else you said, which I perked up immediately um, on our news and motion segment that we do Monday through Friday, I do an inspirational message. And the inspirational message I shared with today was, um, I said, it's okay to sit in your hurt. I said, I said, just just sit in your hurt for a moment. Embrace it for a moment. Embrace. Sit in your grief for a moment. And at first I could tell because there's a chat component to that. So people were like, wow, I never looked at it that way. I said, we want to avoid it, not feel it, not deal with it. I said, so we don't know what it's like. I said, but it's okay to sit there for a moment. The most um, powerful and, thing and ask, ask yourself, where is it from? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I said the most powerful thing you can do is just sit in your feelings. Just sit there. So when you said that, I was like, confirmation. I wasn't crazy to, you know, <laughs> to share that. And 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 I think so many people, they they don't want to identify, they don't want to hurt, they don't want to feel it, that they're masking it. And I wonder if that if that also creates some of the trauma. Can you speak to that at all? Sure. It, it absolutely does because what you don't um what you don't heal, you transmit. So oftentimes mm -hmm. we get into relationships with other people and because we did not allow ourselves to heal from certain things, we now weaponize certain parts of our lives against the people who try to love us, who want to love us, yeah. and we're only perpetuating the cycle. And a lot of times we create labels for ourselves and we create different narratives and scenarios like I'm not lovable, I'm not this, people don't really like me, people don't stay in my life long enough. But what happens is, is that the truth is, is that we just didn't heal. We didn't sit with ourselves long enough to heal. So what we do is we create these um, barriers around ourselves and we create weapons within ourselves to defend ourselves because we've already anticipated that the person is going to leave. And what we've ended up doing is utilizing those weapons and those defenses to push them away. And then that validates the negative thoughts or comments that we've already created about ourselves that, see, I told you I was unlovable. Like, that's why you didn't stay. Or I yeah. knew that was this because, you know, you did that. But the truth is, is that we're creating scenarios and situations where the other person probably just doesn't have any other options but to leave in order to maintain their own mental wellness and their own mental health spaces. Wow. Speaking of that, do you think people leave too soon? And if so, why? 
I do, I, because we just don't have the skills when nobody has taught us how to have capacity for other people. And so I often mm -hmm. talk about how in Western society, especially like over here, like in the United States, we are very self-driven. Uh, for many of us who have social media, it's all about us. What's going on in your world? What's going on about you? What is it? How are you feeling today? Tell Facebook all about it. What's your dopest picture that you had? Post it on Instagram. What's the slickest thing you can talk about? Post it on um, TikTok, you know, just whatever. And so because this world is all about me, yeah. we forget yeah. to hold capacity, have capacity and hold space for someone else. Yeah. We just get to do it. And if it costs us too much, we're just not willing to invest in others because we've learned We've, we've, we haven't learned how to value other people. We haven't learned how to love other people into their fullness. Mm -hmm. We haven't learned how to walk with someone else on their journey, wherever they may be, and to just give them grace as they're trying to figure some things out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, one thing I'm hearing a lot now that people are coming back out um, among people, mm -hmm. I'm hearing a lot of people who appear to be carrying guilt and shame but they really cannot identify why they are experiencing shame or why they are guilty. And I'm trying to figure out what, what's going on here, what's really happening that they're carrying this around with them. Um, if anyone's listening to us today who's, who's in that space of guilt and shame, could you share two to three things on how they can identify why they are there and what they can do to come out of it? So guilt oftentimes and shame, those are two very complex um, ideologies or feelings or thought processes because they can come from anywhere. And oftentimes in childhood, we can be shamed and found guilty for things that we should not. So like, for example, if you struggle with something in school or if you struggle with certain relationships or if there was anything that you did that was contrary to the standards and values and vision that your parents have, depending on how they handled you, can already embed a programmatic system or process of guilt and shame that's on the inside of you. And if any of your listeners are Christians, right? Because everything that I do comes from the word of God. And if that's not anybody's foundation, I don't kind of know how to help you, but I don't want to offend anybody. But from my foundation of belief, if we come from the dirt, if we come from the dust of the ground, what you put inside that soil will germinate underneath and you will grow. It will become a part of the soil and it will change the fabric of the soil. And so what I genuinely believe is that those seeds that are planted inside of us when we are in a utero, as infants, as babies, as toddlers, as children, those thoughts and those beliefs end up growing with us as we grow older and they become a part of us. So for example, I always use this example because I love my grandmother and I called my grandmother Big Mama. And as a child, I grew up as a straight A student until I hit this one science class in fifth grade. And I will never forget, I struggled so hard um, in this fifth grade science class and I brought home a B. It was my first B that I ever brought home. And my grandmother said to me, there was no point in you finishing this class because a B is nothing but an F with a dress on it. And from that point, I felt just the weight of that embarrassment. I felt the weight of that shame. Um, and it stayed with me so long that even when I graduated from college and I grad I missed graduating by summa cum laude by point zero one hundredth of a point, I did not even want to go to my graduation because I felt like I had failed with a dress on it because mm -hmm. of how harsh that seed was planted in me so early on and how long it stayed with me. Mm -hmm. So 
that's just one example of how guilt and shame um, can become embedded inside of a person. Another way could be through the art of comparison. And when we see, especially mm -hmm. if you have a sibling or a close friend or even a close classmate or a sportsmate, and you see how someone responds to their outcomes versus how they respond to your outcomes, those even the absence of affirmation can produce systems of guilt and shame on the inside of us. So I want to make sure that I showed one way where the seed can be planted to give the lack of affirmation. I'm sorry, the um, the thought process of guilt and shame, but also the lack of affirmation in certain ways, mm -hmm. even a lack of even just seeing your effort, how that can um, do it. And then also when we create certain mindsets, like when we see, um, number three, when we see somebody showing up and doing things a certain way, you may hear somebody say, oh, I will never be like my mother. Or I will never be like my mm -hmm. father. And mm -hmm. then because we focus so much on not doing things a certain way that we end up becoming those things, then that also can create a system of guilt and shame that just kind of lives on the inside of us because everything there's a, a book out there called the body keeps score that no matter what happens your body still remembers even if your brain has moved on 10 years or 15 years your brain i'm sorry parts of your body that experienced the trauma that lived in the trauma itself can always go back to the moment when that thing first happened so there's a number of ways that guilt and shame can attach itself to ourselves, our being, our body, our mind, our heart, the narratives that we tell ourselves, including these judgmental posts that people make on social media. These posts are horrible. Everybody wants to be a mental health professional. Everybody wants to take a sound bite and post it. And then you have the cronies that want to agree. I remember one time I saw a post in the middle of COVID that said, if you're not losing weight, if you're not starting businesses in COVID, you've wasted your time. And I felt so cringeworthy on the inside because I was working with children and families that were dealing with substance abusers that they could not get away from, domestic violence abusers that yes. when you were going to work for eight to 10 hours a day, you at least would have a break. Kids who were being denied having those meals from school, you yes. know, just people who were burying loved ones that they were not even able to attend the funeral or able to go see. And when you get these hard judgmental posts, these messages that are constantly coming out on social media and then validated through comments, those things also can create a harsh sense of guilt and shame, especially if people who know your story or people who know where you are or people who know what yes. you have not been able to accomplish or what you struggle with, then post something to the contrary. Whew, those things can be just devastating. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw that post. And, okay, and, and yeah. the other one, because, um, um, you know, children were at home, like, you know, schools were closed. There was another post that mentioned um, if you're sitting in a, a, the library parking lot trying to steal their internet to get your classwork done, you're a thief. And it yeah. made me think about how many students, they don't have electricity at home or they do not have uh, computer internet at home. So they were going to the, to the library on a day-to-day -to, -day to do their homework anyway. And I loved it how corporations were responding by saying, Come to our parking lot and we'll get you the internet and we'll do whatever we yeah. need to, do to make sure you have what you need. But you're right. Those those posts and people were brutal. They were brutal. There was no compassion. And that goes back to what I was saying about just having compassion and capacity yes. for 
other people, just where they are, what they're going through, and just not even understanding the dynamics that even come with it. Because it's one thing if you've never yeah. experienced trauma and then you're older and you're fortified with a lot of different skills, resources, coping, you know, coping skills, a great network of people, and then life hits you. But it's something else when you have just lived in a traumatized way, you have no resources, no network of love and support, and you hop on social media to only get torn down more. Um, there are just so many background facets that we just, as Americans, yeah. are not taught and trained to consider and think about before we post. I, I so or, or even interact with each other. Yeah. Right. And I'm very, you know, early on in social media, I know I was posting different things, but I was always like, I don't want to give too much, but now I really do consider like, well, I don't think I want to post that. I want to really enjoy my meal. I don't really want to post the meal, you know, yeah. things from, from that part of it, of what that looks like. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that takes away from our ability to just be present and be mindful and be in the moment. Um, with people, that was something that I learned post COVID because I was not a mindful person before. So that's where I am on my journey. Just so you know, <laughs> if I had to have a moment of transparency. Hey, we all, Hey, we've been there. I want to get to your mission statement. Cause I absolutely love it on your website. It says elder I see is on a mission as a trauma extra extricator to yeah. use the power of the Holy spirit to facilitate change in the lives of broken hurting, rejected people, overcoming multiple traumas in her life. She is anointed to act as a jaws of life to those who feel trapped in their pain, strong enough to pull them out, yet gentle enough to hold them in their process, um, which you spoke to this already. But Elder Isaiah has the capacity, compassion, and insight to carry people's burdens right to the feet of Jesus. What, what, what's that calling um, that God has placed in your life to enable you to do this with such kindness and gentleness and that fresh spirit of God's anointing within you. What, what drew you to it? What called you to that? Grace. Someone did it for me. It is grace. Honey, wherefore, but the grace of God, where would I be? And there's a scripture, I believe it's in first Corinthians, um, or maybe it's in second Corinthians, but it talks about how like in your darkest moment, how the Lord will just come alongside you and walk you through that process. And it talks about how he'll strengthen you. And I love it because it, it's even better in the message Bible. And I wasn't even prepared to share this verse, so I don't have it off the top of my mind, but it talks about how he'll strengthen you so you can go back and get somebody else. And mm. so I do know that just in my journey of life, there was so many times that I wanted to give up. So many times I just couldn't see myself the way God saw me, but he always sent an angel to come and find me and walk me through that season and walk me through that moment. And it just kind of enlarged a level of grace and compassion for just God's people and people in general, um, mm -hmm. for like no matter where they are, to just kind of meet them in that space and just hold their hand or sometimes even pick them up and carry them until they are strong enough to walk on their own and get to their next season in life. So how do you, if I can ask this question, because I, I can visually see this as you were just sharing, how are you able to separate? Because... Um, I, I can only imagine the type of people you come in contact with and hearing their stories and how you're not carrying that 24 seven. So how, how do you, what's your um, prescription, if you will, of separating so mm -hmm. that you're not always carrying everything that you're hearing? So one, 
part of it is just the training of being a mental health therapist for so long. You know, you get enough tools and you you learn how to compartmentalize. You learn how to separate. Um, there is a little bit of desensitization. I would have to say that just as being a human being and coming mm -hmm. in constant contact with trauma that you have to be mindful of. Not that you get to accept and just you know, own, but you have to be mindful of um, because you do hear similar stories at such a fast rate um, or a consistent rate all the time. But for me, the greatest prescription is I pray. I spend a lot of time um, in prayer. I literally have my dream closet in my home and in my closet, I have a couch. And in that couch, I spend time with the Lord. And I don't just work with my clients or the people that God has entrusted me to. I have a a um, whiteboard in there and I have their names written down. I have the things that are on their heart and I pray and pray and pray and I drop them at the feet of Jesus and I trust God to handle their issues much better than I can. So for wow. me, it's the power of prayer. It's the okay. power of prayer. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah. Prayer is the root of just everything. It's like if, without prayer, we, we're really lost. Yeah. Um, so I can even imagine you praying for all of your clients and just your walk and every person that you come in contact with. And um, so, yeah, now I'll remember I have a wall of prayer as well. So I'll remember to place Isaiah on top of my. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so for much you. for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Self-care. You have to engage in self-care. In self-care. Fridays are my self-care day. It took me until, I'll, I'll be turning 58 in July, but it Ooh. took me until this year to, to block out every Friday. It's like self-care day. I would encourage you to block out 15 minutes every day. Oh. Every day, take some time for self-care. I don't care if it's just journaling, if it's just reading something, if it's mindless TV, if it's going for a walk, if it is just sitting with yourself and just processing your day, whatever brings you joy, give yourself joy every single day. Because if you wait till Friday, it's almost like you're allowing your cup to drain and then you're working super hard to fill it back up so that you're already kind of drained again before you get to the next Friday. Instead of if you just do like a 5, 10, 15 minute every single day, it's like your cup may get low, but you're not going to get empty. So you don't have to work as hard on Friday in order to fill yourself back up. You just helped me. Look, I don't know what anybody else got from this, but you just helped me. That makes sense. Every and I day. love the way you explain that as well. Yeah. Oh, no, that's good. That's good. That's good. Now, have you, did, did you find it difficult to merge your spiritual beliefs and gifts with your professional knowledge, responsibilities to deliver and heal someone from, from trauma? And I know that's a yes or no question and we're not supposed to ask those, but I wanted to just ask it that way to say, you know, how, so in merging that, were, were, did you, were you faced with any difficulties? Um, if so, can you explain if you weren't faced with any difficulties, how were you able to, to merge those? So you want to know what's funny? Yeah. As I began to grow in my relationship with God, I found everything in the word of God. The theorists, the interventions, the all of the amazing things that these wonderful people in my field have come up with. If you search that word of God hard enough, it is already in there. So it was an easy transition from that vantage point. The part that is not so easy is being able to 
love, not love, but to understand and validate people with different beliefs and validate them even when their lifestyle and their beliefs is contrary to yours. And so there becomes that space of still honoring the person and remaining true to myself, but understanding that every time I enter into a therapeutic space, it's not about me, but it is how do I need to show up for this person in this moment. And it was not until the last several years where God showed me that how I show up, he is in me, he is with me, and it is not about me forcing my beliefs on somebody else, but it is also about me mm -hmm. standing in my beliefs while still honoring and loving someone else where they are in their belief. So I will say that as I grew in the things of God, some things were a little challenging for me, but God in his wisdom and his grace has even equipped me and strengthened me even in that space to be comfortable to flow with anybody, regardless to how they believe, regardless to what they think, what they identify as, don't identify as, think they are, don't think they are. Honey, I can show up in that space and I can just love you no mm -hmm. matter what condition you find yourself in yeah. until you literally come to the space of where you, you say you want to be. Yeah. Um, through news and motion, as I shared with you earlier, um, each day I give an inspirational message before I sign off. And being I'm a Christian woman, I'm a believer, I tell them, I'm like, I'm not going to compromise on this. And I said, I understand if you can, you know, if you want to sign off and not continue, because I give a biblical reference many days and so forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had people outside of the Christian faith inbox me and say, um, will you please stop saying that? Because I, there's something I get out of it. all of your inspirational messages. I just take what I want from it and I go from it. And I just was like, you know, let me stop giving my caution before I share because yeah. they're and they stick on. I mean, I'm talking about people from all types of backgrounds, beliefs, so forth and so on. And it's interesting. I think sometimes I'll speak for myself that I'm harder on me and I'm wondering like, am I going to offend anybody? Well, I can't worry about that because this is who I am. So I try to give that ex explanation and that caution, but they're like, will you please stop saying that? Cause I'm getting yeah. this every morning, every morning. So that that's yeah. Yeah. So with that, um, you know, this is called politics and prose. So when we're thinking about the political aspect, especially when we're talking about mental health awareness month and what people are dealing with, do you think that, um, we're being pulled different direction because of the political landscape and the political climate that we're dealing with. Do you think some of this mental health is coming from some of this, these politics and uh, the rules and regulations and what we're doing and um, the distortions, the oppression, the lies, the people being marginalized? Um, is that where some of us are dealing with our mental health or is it something else? So I think if we start to look at mental health the same way we look at physical health, I think that would be a better way to answer that question. So when we look at our physical health, we see it as a continuum of very sick to very healthy. And we know that everyone is going to fall somewhere on that continuum as far as their physical health is concerned, regardless to what politics does, right? If your leg is broken, your leg is broken no matter who is in office. If you got cancer, you got cancer. You know, whatever it is, yeah, that's kind of yeah. how your body is showing up. And so I think that politics plays a massive role um, from the amount of resources we have to the education that we have to the access that we have to it even for some people programs, how they think about people who have 
certain things. But if we have the compassion to look at ourselves from a mental health space as a continuum from being very mentally sick or very mentally ill to being very mentally well, I think we can all find ourselves somewhere on that continuum. And when we look at it from that perspective, we can begin to take our own power back and not relish the control or the power to politics, but own it within ourselves to say, I'm not too well today. Or you know what? Today I am very mentally healthy and I'm going to focus on this, this, that, and a third or whatever the case may be. But just giving ourselves the flexibility and freedom to just be, to just know and to just say, today I am depressed or today I am anxious or today I do feel a little bipolar. I can't really find myself in this moment or just whatever is happening. I think that we got to look even beyond the political landscape to see the bigger picture and know that at, at any moment in time, we can fall anywhere on that continuum. And just being aware that they do have an agenda and that with that agenda, sometimes they can push us to feel ways that we may or may not feel, especially towards a particular group of people or a particular class or a particular race of people, the way that they do the news. And that's when it comes back to setting your self-care setting your parameters, your boundaries, your limits to know how much of the news you're willing to consume, how much of social media you're willing to spend, and sitting with yourself to really understand what is it that I feel, what is it that I believe, and how are the things that I'm allowing to enter into my life shift, change, adjust, add yeah. to subtract from how who the essence and core of who I have decided that I want to be. And I always tell people that if mm -hmm. you're unsure, social media is not the space for you because if you're questioning your identity and if you're not sure who you are, all those opinions and all of the information that comes at you can give you one that you may or may not want to attach yourself to. Yeah, I, I, I've been advocating lately because I'm an advocate at heart that there should be we should be advocating for mental health insurance just as much as we advocate for health insurance. And although people say there's some mental health insurance in the health insurance, when you really look at it, it's maybe it's a, a very small fraction, like two or three percent. And I'm like, it has to be as equal as our physical health as well. So. Yeah. Well, and on the flip side, the provisions of it for the people providing care are not always that great. Well, so you're a right. lot of therapists are moving away from even accepting, you know, mental health insurance because, you know, it's just a lot of politics and black That's tape, it. Or yellow tape, or whatever that goes into it. Um, so, no, you're absolutely correct, and it's almost like there becomes roadblocks for it. Yeah, so whatever we're going through, there's a roadblock. Word. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, then we use it when, we, when we're into gun violence and we're trying, you know, I saw, talking about social media, I saw a post the other day and they said, can we just for one moment think, believe that it's the gun? Like, what if it really is the gun? What if it's not mental health? What if it really is the gun? Let's focus there. But well, they'll, they'll, they'll push something and then they'll leave us hanging with it, you know? You know, the truth is, is that the whole idea of trauma is that it just interrupts a person's ability to feel safe, That's safe it. in your environment, safe in your home, and sometimes even safe in your own body. Yeah. And so when you don't feel safe and then you're not equipped with education and resources for how to handle not feeling safe, 
you begin to look to your own devices. Even Abraham Maslow, if you look at his triangle for the basic needs of human life, at the very bottom of it is safety. And so if we find people who are living in food deserts, if we find people who are living in high crime areas where the politicians and the police officers are a part of, you know, yes. the crime or where like the neighbors are unwilling to speak out, just whatever the case may be. I work with a lot of individuals from Baltimore City. And so when you have safety that is threatened on all levels um, of a person's life, whether if it's school, home, um, individually, in the community, whatever, a lot of us will look to find weapons of defenses. I think I spoke about that a little bit earlier, but before I was talking about like this, the emotional defensiveness that we use in our relationships, but then some people will then manifest it to physical uses like guns, uh, knives and whatever, because everyone is just looking to find safety. Right. Everyone right. is looking to find safety. And when we look at the world as a threat, oftentimes we can make impulsive and irrational decisions without even thinking it through because all we're trying to do is keep ourselves and our loved ones safe in that moment. You're right. You are right. I can go on and on with you. This is so good. I'm like, I'm looking at the time, like, really? Really? We're Bye. already at that time. <laughs> but I do have some, I have a couple more questions. If you can hang with me. I'm One, I would love to know what book are you currently reading? Who's the author and why that book? So I'm currently reading two books right now. The first book I'm reading is called The Kneeling Warrior, and it's by David D. Ireland. And I read that book a couple times a year because it really, I, I when I spoke to being a prayer warrior before, it is a constant reminder for me about the importance of my prayer being a weapon. And it constantly reminds me how to be a sniper in the spirit and how to be very targeted mm -hmm. with my prayers as I'm praying for others and praying for myself. And so it can become so easy to get caught up in the drama and trauma of others. But I told you like that prayer space is my foundation. And mm -hmm. so I have to go back a couple times a year and just refresh my mind um, with the kneeling warrior. So that is probably- The kneeling warrior. The kneeling warrior. And, it's, and the subtitle is Winning Your Battles Through Prayer. And it's written by David Ireland. So I love that book. The other book I'm reading is more on the mental health side. And it's about the polyvagal theory and therapy. And it's written by Deb Dana. And so this is actually a pretty thicker book. Um, and I'm kind of halfway through it. But I love it because it talks about how to help um, traumatized clients find safety within their bodies, how to regulate themselves, their different systems, and how to bring peace and calm when those systems want to stay actively actively regulated and charged um, on a regular basis. So I think I spoke a little bit to how trauma lives in your body. And so mm -hmm. because it does live there, oftentimes our organs are overworking. Um, our, our, our heart is working a lot harder um, than what someone who's at peace. And so it really begins to speak to that. It really gives a deep in-depth breakdown of the different organs, how trauma attaches itself um, to those organs and how to begin to help your clients see and understand the impact of trauma just on their individual bodies and how to begin to regulate it, how to begin to calm themselves down, how to begin to recognize when something is happening or when their body is reliving a trauma that they're not presently in wow. and how to regulate that in that moment so that they're not staying at a heightened state um, for too long. Wow. Both, both sound phenomenal. I'm going to grab that uh, prayer one ASAP. I definitely uh, recommend that one. For sure. <laughs> I'm going to grab that one ASAP. You have an upcoming event, June the 22nd through the 24th, 2023. 
man cave ladies lounge is all under in my father's house conference can you please share information on your conference and how people can register yes yeah, so in my father's house conference we're going to definitely be healing father wounds um on those days and so i have some nationally um recognized gospel artists that's coming on the 22nd todd galbert will be doing a praise and worship for the men's night the first night of the women's night will be phil thompson and then the last night shana wilson williams is going to bring it home so i'm super excited um for the praise and worship aspect we're going to have some really great speakers we're going to have some panelists some breakout groups food is going to be provided every single day by urban cooking you definitely should come at least for the food. Like the food is going to be, the word and the praise and worship is going to be great. But I love, I love, I love Urban Cooking's food. It's going to be swag bags. Um, the truth is, is I was trying to get women a ladies lounge two days, Friday and Saturday. But some of the men were like, we want to come on Saturday too, even if it's just to support the women. So I have now opened it up and this is hot off the press. So this podcast is going to release it first before it even hits my social media. Thursday night is going to be the man cave for the men. Friday night is going to be the ladies lounge, but Saturday is now going to be for everybody. Yes. And women. So wives can bring their husbands, sisters can bring their brothers, whatever the case may be. Everyone can be in the room on Saturday as we all gather in our father's house to just heal together. Wow. I love that. I love that. I love that. What was your vision for the upcoming conference? Um, and then, and if I heard you correctly, there's a critical role of the father and the trauma behind that. So once people go through the conference, what's next? If I can ask you that before we sign off. I know about open up another <laughs> can of worms, but I need to ask this question. <laughs> so I really feel like I gotta give you like just a slight bit of history. And I'm gonna try to talk fast because I don't want to go too long. But in 2018, God gave me the title in my father's house. I didn't know what it was or what to do with it. And then he gave it to me again in 2019. I said, oh, this is going to be a prayer journal. So then I started thinking about all the different rooms that happened in the house and, you know, what can happen. I started breaking it down, but that just wasn't it. And then in 2020, he said, in my father's house again. But in November of 2022, he gave me the full revelation. And when he said, do a conference in my father's house, I immediately went to John 14. I said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. So I was like, oh, this is what you're doing. And he said, no. He took me to Luke chapter 2, verse 49. And this is the story where Mary and Joseph were looking for Jesus and they couldn't find him because they left him in the temple. But most of the time when we hear what Jesus said, it's only one or two versions that say, didn't you know I had to be in my, about my father's business? But one of the real versions said, was, didn't you know I would be in my father's house? And God began to show me how the very thing we're looking for is in his house. But we're filling that void with everything from everywhere else and we're still left unfulfilled and so until we get this father space right our perspective and our views of who god is as our heavenly father will never be correct so we'll always be in this constant spiral or this constant argument about religion and church and how people are doing or not doing or whatever because we have a skewed perspective of who our father is and so and so this conference will hopefully the goal is to heal that vision, restore God as our 
uh, restore our perspective for him as our father, but then to begin to transition people. So one mm -hmm. of the things that my church is going to do the next day is we're going to do a baptism for anybody who wants to start fresh, come up brand new. And then the Holy Spirit is downloading in me the next project that I will be releasing at the conference. So you're going to want to get your ticket and get there to get that fresh download, that fresh frame up from the Holy Spirit on how we're going to continue to work with people to maintain their healing even after the conference is over. Wow. I love that. I'm so glad. Yeah. I'm glad you put that out there. That is great. How can people contact you if they're like, I, I want to touch base with her. I want her to come be on a panel or speak to our women or men or whatever. How can people reach you? So my website is www.imdesignthenumber4purpose.com. Again, it's www.imdesignthenumber4purpose.com. Or I'm on, I'm on Facebook and Instagram as my name. I see a Ragsdale, I-C-I-A, and my last name is R-A-G-S-D-A-L-E. Mm -hmm. I think I'm on TikTok, Snapchat. Uh, Look, I'm old, y'all, but I'm trying. I'm trying to be connected in all of these different ways, so people can find me very easily. I'm very responsive um, to my contacts. Um, I also have an email address, which is I am designed for purpose at gmail .com. Um, Or you is can, that the number four or F O U R number four? Number four. Or you can I am use, designed for purpose at gmail.com. Or you can use my name, which is Isia.ragsdale at gmail.com. Y'all, I respond to everything. Um, and I'm also getting ready to get an assistant who will make sure that I stay on top of things because I do want to be connected. I don't want to ever leave people hanging. So be persistent, be patient. I will get back to you, I promise. I love that. You know, for everyone who's listening, I just met her today and immediately it, can, it was a connect. So I know she's going to respond. I want all of y'all to try to get to this conference. It's June. I shut down my phone. What is it? June? 22nd through the 24th. 22nd through the 24th. And that's in Maryland, Baltimore, Maryland. Baltimore, right? Maryland. Yes. We are going to shake this city. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for joining me today on Politics and Pros. This has been Wow. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I love you. I actually love this platform. I love you. And I'm grateful that we were able to connect today. I'm loving it. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I don't want it to end, but I'm like, okay, Gina's going to get me. It's, we're now at 47.38 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And everyone, please check out her website. Um, you have a book. She has a book series. Uh, you have the contact information, you have the two books that she's currently reading, and you have the conference that's coming up June the 22nd through the 24th, y'all. That is this year, 2023. So again, I say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. You too. Y'all know what I say, everyone. Stay well and remember, make some bold moves. We are out. New episodes air on Fridays. Make sure to follow Gail on Instagram, Twitter, and post.news at Gail Dudley. And subscribe to her YouTube, www.youtube.com slash Gail Dudley. Tune in to be informed. And make sure to subscribe to Politics and Pros wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss an episode.